race. It's not just a subject to study. It is Christianity. Welcome to Rogue Grace. This is Peter John with you. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely Monday. That's right. That's not an oxymoron. A lovely Monday. It is possible because it's beautiful outside. It's also beautiful inside. That is within us. When you have the new covenant. Before I get into that, want to remind you to invite you on this Monday to come out tonight to listen to the words of my brother prayerfully, hopefully, and what I have only experienced personally, hearing the word of God from my brother. So Ben will be opening up the word of God on Monday night. Yeah, you know, my brain did melt down some months ago and I'm still trying to recover, if ever. So I forgot what the Monday night study is called. Do you remember, Scott? Uh, It's called Journey of Hope. Thank you. A guy whose brain works, Scott. Well, yeah. That's, you know, compared to matter of opinion. (laughs) Compared to mine, it surely does. So Journey of Hope on Monday night. So I, my kids love it. They come out every Monday night with my mom. I come Monday nights, unless it's football season. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do. I love coming on Monday nights. My kids, it's their favorite. And so come out and there's music is beautiful and wonderful and the word is powerful. So love to have you out tonight. Going back to what I began with, that grace is not just a subject, it is Christianity. I want to talk to you why that is, because let me give you some examples, if you would. Here's the first example I want to use, that Paul had to correct a lot of immorality in the church of Corinth. You remember that when you read through 1 Corinthians and then in some of his following or subsequent comments in 2 Corinthians, you see he's correcting all kinds of sin in the church needfully. It was necessary. The immorality, the way that Christians were treating one another, discriminating against each other, defiling each other. So Paul had to address all of those issues in 1 Corinthians. All kinds of stuff that was wrong was taking place, that was sinful was taking place in the church in the city of Corinth. which is in present-day Greece. So, yet when you look at the church in Corinth, Paul begins by affirming them. What does he say? How does he start that tough letter of correction? He affirms them saying, you Corinthians are saints, not called saints, as the translators add in our English versions. No, literally, you are saints, and you fall short in no gift. (laughs) That's how he begins the letter to this crazy Corinthian church where Christians have gone wild. He says, he begins the letter, you are saints and fall short in no gift. 
But let me tell you why grace is Christianity, vice versa. Christianity is grace. Why I talk about that subject on this show five days a week, week after week. Because you contrast the beginning of that letter to the Corinthians where Paul says, you are saints, you fall short in no gift before he lets loose on them. Contrast that with one of the most grace-filled, powerful, one of the most impacting books about grace in the New Testament, the book of Galatians. The book written to that group of Christians, not in present-day Greece, but in present-day Turkey. Now, why am I bringing up Galatians? That book of grace, amazing grace. The book where there are so many verses about grace that are found on cards and put on our refrigerators and highlighted in our Bibles. Beautiful verses, scriptures about grace are found in the book of Galatians. And how does he begin that book of Galatians? Unlike the church in Corinth where he begins before he lets them have it, as it were, corrects their immorality and begins by affirming them, calling them saints, you fall short of no gift, He addresses the Galatians. He begins this letter on grace by beginning the book saying, I am shocked. I am shocked at your behavior. Now, wow. I would have assumed that would be the way he would start the letter to the Corinthians who were sleeping with each other and shouldn't have been, suing each other, dissing each other. A letter of correction, he should have began with, I am shocked. In in the book of grace, he should have began with, you are the saints. But it's vice versa. In the book of correction, he begins, you are the saints. And in the book of grace, he begins, I am shocked. In fact, It wouldn't be too much longer, just a few verses later, if you would. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians, literally better translated. I'm serious. Look it up on your own. You you can find it there on Blue Letter Bible, a a, a website that tells you the meanings of these Greek words. Literally, you foolish Galatians is literally translated, you stupid Galatians. That's why he writes this letter of grace, because they were stupid, not mentally. They were stupid in their theology. They were all, unlike the Corinthians, who were um, falling short in no gift, who were expressing the beauty of the Holy Spirit in their giftings and in their um, ministry, even though they had all this other junk The church of Galatia had no, quote, junk, but Paul is saying you are stupid. I am shocked, not at your behavior, but that you are emphasizing circumcision, religion, the way that you do. So to the church that seemed, from our point of view, to have its act together, oh, they're getting circumcised. Oh, they're so religious. They're so well-behaved, Paul says, I'm shocked, you stupid Galatians. To the church that was sleeping with each other, getting drunk at communion, suing each other, he says, oh, you saints in Corinth. (laughs) The New Testament always pulls off the old switcheroo. joy when the morning comes your hope keeps me looking up you are enough 
I just had a rad. I don't care if that's an 80s or 90s word. I just had a awesome. That's a that's that word you can still use. Conversation outside the studio here with Robert and we were talking about the grace of God along with a guy named Jeremiah no, it wasn't a bullfrog, but we were talking about grace. You know why? Because Jeremiah said, as I was walking by him, I was getting a cup of water. He said, you know what? Thief on the cross. He didn't eat that thief on the, he, he brings this up. That thief on the cross didn't even have a chance to do a good work. He couldn't even do anything. He was nailed to the cross. But he heard the words, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, wow. I, so I said, yeah, I got to talk about that next segment. I mean, here's the thief on the cross. Not the one who rejected Jesus. Not the one who was trying to analyze or stand on his own behavior or go down with his own behavior, whatever the case may be. This guy is saying, I'm all tied up. Not just on a cross. I'm all tied up into Jesus's work. Remember me. He couldn't, if you would, even do one good thing in his lifetime. There he is, as Jeremiah was saying, up on the cross. Because of his sin, because of his crimes, whether it was murder or theft 
or whatever. There he is up on the cross. He couldn't even do one good work. And what did he hear? Today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because it was completely, totally dependent on grace. You want to have paradise today? Do I want to have paradise today? Lord, I want to have paradise today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I want you to say that to me today. Even though I'm here on earth, I mean, spiritually, inwardly, in my mind, in my heart, I want to be in paradise. Then all you got to do is say, Lord, remember me. (laughs) Not look at me, not analyze me, not even use me. I mean, as good as that is, paradise comes from, Lord, just remember me. And as you marvel at Jesus and are admiring Jesus, whether you even know it or not, thus worshiping Jesus, you will be in paradise. Upon the Lord And he inclined and heard my cry He pulled me up out of the miry clay He sent my feet upon a rock He gave me beauty for ashes And joy for my morning And praise for heavy He put a new song in my mouth and a crown upon my head. He gave me life forevermore. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me, Jesus. Yeah, you've been so good, so, so good to me. So good, so, so good to me So good, so, so good to me Jesus Pick me up and you turn me around And you place my feet on the solid ground Hallelujah Hallelujah Pick me up and you turn me around And you place my feet on the solid ground Hallelujah Hallelujah, I remember when you pick me up and you turn me around and you place my feet on the solid ground. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I remember when you pick me up and you turn me around and you place my feet on the solid ground. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Talk about grace Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, twice a day. Why do you? T- I mean, it's a good part of Christianity, but there's other stuff as well. Not uh, my opinion is grace is Christianity. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Uh, I I really believe that because I look at my life, and if that's not the case, I'm in big trouble. I'm in a world of hurt. And I think you are too, if you're really honest with yourself. 
So it is finished. <laughs> That's the key. Now, all of those great instructions and beautiful words of wisdom for our behavior that are found in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul and the apostles, those are beautiful. Those are wonderful for husbands and wives, for employers and for employees, for Christians and how we treat one another. Beautiful. Only after grace has been well, well, well established. <laughs> you won't ever find those things established without grace or before grace. You know what? I, I, I guess I'm kind of vehement about this because for so many years now, and I'm not talking about my dad nor my brother, but I hear sermons by Christian preachers and pastors about all the things that we should be doing or could be doing. And then at the end, they throw in a little bit of grace. When I read the New Testament, it's all about grace. And then at the end, they throw in a little bit about what we could be and should be doing. Why? Because grace is what changes people, changes me, changes the world. When I say grace, I don't just mean it in a generic sense. I mean the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what will change your life. So that's why I spend Monday through Friday talking about God's grace. See? Consider with me at this moment, if you can get past Scott's rambunctiousness, sneezing, coughing. Great time of year, huh, Scott? Man, allergies, part of the fall. Yeah, for part sure. of the fall. Yep. Absolutely. Consider with me. I forgot. No. Consider with me the fact that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, my dad considered that at the mountaintop retreat. Wonderful retreat. Beautiful time. Good people, good friends, good word. And he was talking out of John 21, as John calls himself in that text, as well as throughout that gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So I've been thinking about that, what my dad said, and I'd like to reiterate that. I'd like to repeat it. Because in that story, in John 21, you have these seven guys in a boat. You remember that after Jesus had risen from the dead? Seven strong men. I mean, they're experienced in pulling in the net. They'd fished all night for years and years. That's when you went fishing at night in that particular time and in that particular lake, the Sea of Galilee. You fished at night. So they had been fishing all night, throwing and pulling nets all night long like they had done for years before. Seven strong fishermen. But the, the catch was so big when Jesus told them to throw the, the net on the other side that they couldn't draw it in, these seven strong guys. Now, it's beautiful, isn't it? Just the picture of that. And then there's the disciple. One of those men was the disciple whom Jesus loved. In that gospel, John refers to himself always as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never calls himself John. He knew that the Lord loved him. And if we're conscious, as John was, that you are the one, that I am the one Jesus loves, when we're leaning on his love like John leaned on Jesus that Passover night before Jesus died, great things will happen. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. 
are you driving right now? Maybe you're in your living room. Maybe you're on a walk. By the way, you can get this on MP3, by the way, if you want to do that on the Apple. Or you can just go to my website if you want, Peter John Corson. You can find these MP3s, players. Well, no, we didn't, I'm not selling MP3 players. You can get these segments for your MP3 player. Uh, so you don't have to listen right now. You can listen at any time. Okay, so what I'm saying is... If you're listening, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I suggest. Here's here's an idea. I'm going to do it later on. I haven't done it yet today, but I want to. Say, I am the believer that Jesus loves. Say that. I am the believer that Jesus loves. Call yourself that. Make that your identity. Hey, make a business card if you want. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Peter John Corson, the believer that Jesus, the Christian that Jesus loves. Sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's true. He loved them all, but John knew it. Jesus loves us all. Do you know it? I want you to know it because he does. He wants you to know it. So you're sitting in the sanctuary, right? Like yesterday at church or in the amphitheater soon. And there are hundreds of other Christians there with you, right? Say to yourself, think to yourself, whisper to yourself, I'm the believer that Jesus loves. Because you look at Peter and John, right? In, in Before Jesus had risen from the dead, and, and you have John who's boasting in Jesus's love for him, right? But Peter's representing most Christians, I think, who boast in their love for Jesus or our tendency, at least in the flesh to do so. Peter represents those who boast in their love for the Lord, but John boasts in the Lord's love for him, the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, that tense that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is an action that is spoken of in the imperfect tense, past tense as well, which means John was saying, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, loves, and will love. <laughs> he just keeps loving. So Jesus loved me this morning. He loves me right now. He'll love me tonight. That's what John is saying. He keeps on loving you. He loves you as much today as the day you were baptized. He loves you to mu as much today on Monday as he did on Sunday. So uh, in reality, John is saying, I am the disciple whom Jesus keeps on loving. John's last words in his gospel, the gospel of John, his last words were when Jesus said, throw your net to the other side and they do. And the catch was great. So great. They couldn't pull it in. And John's said his last words recorded were it's the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The last words of John, it is the Lord. So that I think if there's any blessing in my life, it is the Lord. If there's any good works, it is the Lord. If there's any holiness, it is the Lord. If I'm able to help another person, it is the Lord. If I'm at least a mediocre, no, let's say I'm a good dad. It is the Lord. It's the Lord. The whole book of John can be summed up in his last sentence there in John 21. After Jesus told them to throw the net to the other side, it was John who summed up the entire gospel by saying, it is the Lord. My Jesus, I love thee and I know 
acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God and God lives in him. Pardon me. There should not have been. I added the and. No. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Oh, man. Thank you, John, who wrote those words in 1 John chapter 4. We rely on the love that God has for us. Not in our love for God. For the very next phrase says, God is love. (laughs) There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So that's what John writes. The opposite 
of fear. He's writing to us what the opposite of fear is. Guess guess what? I'm going to throw this your way. See if you agree with this. You might, you might not. It's the way I read the scriptures here. He is saying, John is, that the opposite of fear is not faith. That's not what he's saying here. He is saying that the opposite of fear is perfect love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. See, you or I might have assumed the opposite of fear is faith, right? But here, I suggest John is saying the opposite of fear is the perfect love of God. That's what he's saying. So whenever I have fear, it's because to one degree or another, I do not know how perfectly God loves me. In fact, that's exactly how the living Bible translates the verses I just read. If you have fear, you do not know how perfectly God loves you. And if you have this love, it banishes all kinds of fear in your life, it reads. So, if you fear God's punishment, the Bible says you're not complete in God's love. We are to fear the Lord though, right? So, what what about that, Pete? The New Testament, the book of Hebrews, Jesus himself, as well as the Old Testament tells us to fear the Lord. And you're saying we shouldn't have fear of God's punishment uh, or else we're not complete in God's love as you just read in John chapter four. Okay, let's consider that for a moment. How did Jesus define the fear of God? Fear him only. He quotes when he says that in the desert quotes from Deuteronomy, thou shalt fear the Lord and only shall you serve him. Thou shalt fear the Lord and only him shall you serve. It says there in Deuteronomy. That's what Jesus quoted. He quotes it. You shall fear the Lord and only him shall you serve, right? When he's being tempted by the the devil. When did he quote that, Pete? I know he said, you shall worship the Lord And serve him only. That's right. That's what I'm getting at. Jesus quotes the verse. And in his translation. And that's going to be a good translation. Jesus translates. He quotes. The commandment in Deuteronomy. Thou shalt fear the Lord. And only him shall you serve. He quotes it by saying. You shall worship the Lord. And only him shall you serve. So Jesus calls the fear of the Lord. The worship of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is not punishment. Jesus defined the fear of the God. As the worship of the Lord of God. And that's why David writes in the Psalms, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Isn't that a, what a statement. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I think God should be feared for his power, feared for his justice, feared for his holiness. Absolutely. And David also says he should be feared because there's forgiveness with him. He should also be feared for his wrath, but not by you and I, because we are in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we fear God and we worship God. They are one and the same. David says, with the Lord, there is forgiveness that he might be feared. See, God doesn't 
as you know, I'm going to tell you something you already know. God doesn't want you or I to be afraid of him. He wants us to fear him, but not be afraid of him. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Because love and fear cannot coexist. You cannot love someone. I mean, genuinely love them and still be terrified of them. If someone is afraid of you, they'll resent you. They'll be frightened that you might offend them or whatever. So we got to banish that fear, that kind of fear. And the kind of fear we do have is that we worship him. I like, once again, how Jesus translates the statement Moses made in Deuteronomy when Moses said, thou shalt fear the Lord and only him shall you serve in the desert. Jesus quotes it. You shall worship the Lord and only him shall you serve. We'll be right back. Love, you've captured me again. Love, you steal my heart. And oh, when I reach out, you're always Welcome back to Rogue Grace. That was Digital Age, as they call themselves, with the song Captured. So, again, inviting you to come out tonight to listen to God's Word, to hear the Word of God preached, even as Scott is writing down the title, Journey of Hope. See, my brain melted down. Still have Jesus in my heart, but my brain. Thank you for your prayers. <laughs> oh, 
When Jesus first encountered Peter, I should probably even say vice versa. When Peter first met Jesus, Jesus called him the stone. Rock, rocky, right? There in John chapter 1. The second time that Peter encountered Jesus, he and his fishing partners, his buddies, were washing their nets. Luke chapter 5. So the first time Peter encountered or met Jesus, he called him Lord. And that the second time he encounters or meets Jesus, he also calls him Lord in both accounts. And both times, Jesus was discipling, calling Peter. Both times, Jesus was bringing Peter into his ministry, the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me. I'm glad that Jesus said to Peter, follow me. When Peter was doing good and when Peter was falling flat on his face, when he's washing nets, when he's asking about Jesus there in John chapter one, in it all, Jesus said, follow me. And Peter did. And as you know, Peter follows Jesus from a distance when Jesus was being tried by the priests. And they're at that last encounter before Jesus died. Peter is on the outside. Jesus is on the inside facing the priest, standing there being tried illegally. The doors were opened because Peter was able to look in and see Jesus's face. The moment the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I mean, that's how I, I read that. That's how I see that scripture, that Jesus is inside. Peter is outside. Jesus is standing trial. Peter's denying the Lord there by that fire. The rooster crows and Jesus like turns around and looks at Peter. And what he is, it's almost like he's saying, Peter, my eye is on you. <laughs> you can run away. My eye is on you. Don't run too far, Peter. I still got plans for you. Peter did run away. He wept, he wept, and he wept, and he wept. But Jesus had his eye on Peter. Jesus has his eyes on you and me. We've got, we have our ups and downs. Some days are better than other days. Sometimes we succeed, other times we don't. But Jesus keeps his eye on us. He loves us, has a plan for us. So praise, glory, honor, power to Jesus. Boy, I love him. And I know you do too. Thank you for tuning in. Again, check out the website. I'm going to write something after the show here on it. There are small little articles that I write. You can read them within, I don't know, a half a minute. So I'm looking forward to that. Peter John Corson. And uh, also the podcasts for the shows are on there books on there it's cool stuff god bless you <laughs>